The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cox Media Group, Ohio. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. We're watching the radar right now. If weather breaks, we break in immediately. Here on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And I'm Dayton's consumer warrior, Clark Howard. You're listening to an Ask the Expert Weekend. There is a season Well, good morning and welcome to There is a Season, the Bob and Gloria show and the show that's all about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. It has certainly been a very difficult week here in our hometown. The region was devastated by somewhere around uh, 14, 15 uh, tornadoes, depending on what list you've seen, uh, starting up there on Memorial Day evening. Thousands are still trying to pick up the pieces By some kind of miracle, there was but a single loss of life attributed to the storm. There were over uh, 100 injuries related to the storm and post-storm activity. A lot of times people trying to do cleanup and so forth. Even those numbers are amazingly low considering how many different twisters pass through our area. I've never seen anything like that in all the years I've been here. This is a week that we will not soon forget, Bob. I had a chance this week to uh, get out and visit some of the impacted areas, and it is amazing how one street was affected and the other not. Or this house had damage, but that one did not. But regardless, you can help, can't help to be moved to do something to help our neighbors that are in need, desperate need right now. And, and while today's show has been in the making for a while and will offer you the opportunity, opportunity to learn and think about something totally different than tornadoes and all that damage, at least for a while, we do want to share with you the following information regarding relief efforts still going on in this area. Yeah, so, okay, the number one thing is um, the community really needs food in the aftermath of the tornadoes. So that is a number one need right now in our community. WHIO and the Dayton Area Food Bank have teamed up to provide free food to the most impacted neighborhoods and communities. How can you help, Bob? To make a donation, which is really the easiest, best way, the, the simplest way to get food to people, there's a special page here, whio.com forward slash tornado relief, whio.com forward slash tornado relief. All funds raised will go directly to the most impacted communities in the area, and all the money is going to stay right here in the Miami Valley. So that's the uh, the, the page you can go right. to. Right, and the Dayton Food Bank talked about that. For every dollar that you donate, they can feed 10 people. So right now the funds would be most helpful. They can use it in the best way. And the goal right now is to raise $20,000. They have a mobile food unit that they're going to take to eight different locations in the next week. And those locations will be determined shortly. It it takes nothing away from people who are trying to individually help or people are doing things in smaller groups. But there are certain efficiencies, both at the buying end when it comes to, you know, the procurement of food and to the distribution, uh, to the access of these neighborhoods and so forth. So that's probably the simplest way to do it. Uh, it's not the only thing you can do. Certainly, there are plenty of other uh, lists of activity that you can do to help out here. But whio.com forward slash tornado relief, and we'll provide that information again later in the program. Okay, shifting gears now. You may recall during our recent Memorial Weekend show that we talked about an important anniversary coming up this very week. That is this Thursday on June 6th. This nation and other nations will commemorate the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion of Europe. Conceived and executed as a decisive blow to end Nazi tyranny in Europe, in the early hours of June 6, 1944, tens of thousands of Allied troops began the assault that would change the direction of that terrible war. And much will be shared, written, and aired this week about this day in history. But here today, we have the opportunity to share with you some of the historical significance of D-Day, including its connection to our area, along with news of an unprecedented multimedia educational exhibit that itself is history-making. How's that for a teaser? (laughs) And you can experience it yourself firsthand. So what did we do, Gloria? What did uh, the favorite... Geezer and whippersnapper of the hour conjure up for this show. Well, we 
just went out and got ourselves not one but two of the biggest experts ever to talk about D-Day and this exhibit. Today we welcome Jeff DeFord, the curator of the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force, and Michael Imhoff, the executive director of the Air Force Museum Foundation. Gentlemen, welcome to There is a Season. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to be here. Yes, we, we are very pleased that you could join us this morning. So Jeff, let's begin with you. There have been countless books, movies, documentaries, and so forth about D-Day. Tell us a little bit about what you do and your background and interest in World War II and D-Day in particular. Well, uh, I've uh, studied history, military history, ever since I started reading, and I've been very fortunate. I'm originally from Michigan, and my father first brought me down to the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force. It was then called the Air Force Museum back in the 70s, and really it's the only place I've ever wanted to work. And I'm very, very fortunate to be there. We have a great mission. We tell the uh, story of airmen who served, in some cases sacrificed, and we also inspire future generations who serve uh, the United States and to remember the uh, role that our veterans have played and the uh, life that we enjoy today. If, you, uh, if, if you've done any kind of study at all of World War II and you know at least the, the, the dates that most people uh, assign to it, the six years, 1939, the invasion of Poland to 1945, uh, D-Day comes relatively late in the game, uh, which is to take nothing away from all of the battles that ensued in the earlier part of the war, but of course the U.S. didn't get in until late 1941. What brought about, what got us critical mass to finally come together and have the D-Day, the Operation Overlord? What, what brought all of that about? D-Day had to happen, and it had to happen because the Russians were fighting desperately on the Eastern Front. The German army was bogged down, and the Russians were somewhat bogged down as well. We had invaded Sicily and Italy. We were also bogged down there in the mountains, uh, mountainous terrain of Italy. We had to open up another front. And that front could have been anywhere along the western coast of Europe. Could have been Norway, could have been France. Um, Many thought it would be at the Pas de Calais, which was the shortest route across the English Channel. But we had to open up that front to be able to defeat Nazi Germany. And in the end, that invasion was in Normandy, France, And we actually fooled the Germans into thinking that we were going to land at the Pas de Calais, which actually helped the invasion. But the Normandy invasion, known as D-Day, was the beginning of the end of the Nazi regime. Can you give us some of the statistics in in terms of manpower and and, uh, vessels and so forth? Give us some sense of scale here. It's truly stunning. The the D-Day invasion was the largest amphibious invasion in human history. And there were more than 150,000 troops that landed on the beach on D-Day, June 6th. There were more than 11,000 aircraft that flew on D-Day, bombers, fighters, transport aircraft, more than 5,000 ships. So so we're talking about something on a grand scale that has been unmatched before or since. It's really about the population of the city of Dayton at this point. We're talking about every man, woman, and child. roughly the same numbers who made that invasion. Yeah, that's right. And and think about the planning that it would take to organize the ships, organize the aircraft. How do you put 11,000 aircraft in the air at the same time? How do you equip all these all these servicemen, whether they be sailors or or paratroopers, how do you get the equipment to England? You know, so the build up to D-Day took a couple of years to get to that point. And I think another very important point about D-Day is there was no guarantee it was going to be successful. There were so many things that could have gone wrong. And in fact, Eisenhower actually penned a handwritten note to of what he would say if the invasion failed. That's pretty, pretty scary to think about that. He wanted to have words prepared just in case. And I guess at that uh, strategic level, when they're putting this together, there's always uh, people always wonder about, you know, the different anxieties and fears that people have. Obviously, there's a certain level of very visceral fear for the person who's right there on the front line. You know, whether they're taking a hill or jumping into the water on the beaches of, uh, you know, uh, Omaha or, 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 or whatever. But at the strategic level, there had to be calculations about the possible loss of life. And I had heard estimates as high as 15,000, you know, perhaps, you know, that's 10 percent. It could have been higher than that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, there were about 4,000 that were killed on D-Day. But there's a very important role that the Air Force played in greatly reducing casualties. And it actually happened long before D-Day. And it happened because of the service and, in many cases, sacrifice of airmen that were in the Army Air Forces. We had to break the back of the German Air Force to even attempt to land anywhere in France. 
And the way that we did that was to send our heavy bombers, B-17s and B-24s, over Germany, bomb their aircraft factories, and force their fighter pilots to come up and defend their homeland. In doing so, there were about 2,000 German pilots who were killed in the first five months of 1944. And then in addition, the Army Air Forces were bombing the French airfields that could threaten the beachhead and also dropping critical bridges, destroying rail yards so the German Army couldn't reinforce the beachhead quickly. So all of these things led to not only the success of the D-Day invasion, but also greatly reduced the potential number of casualties. Is all of that considered within the uh, umbrella of Operation Overlord? All of that, I mean, a lot of times people think of the June 6th date, and they've seen the videos of people trying to take the beach and the shelling of the gun positions and all of that. But the buildup you're talking about here is significant in terms of its front-end work, all the stuff that was done weeks and months ahead of time. A couple of years, you said, right? Absolutely. It was deliberate policy, deliberate strategy. It's much like you see when you see the relay runner finishing finishing across the, the, who runs across the finish line. Uh, They weren't the only ones who ran the race. They're they're just the ones who very publicly went across the finish line. Break the tape. Uh, What did the soldiers know? I mean, how, how did something so elaborate, so complicated, stay relatively secret for so long. I, I think it's one of the, the great achievements in military operations that something that was so huge was was truly kept so secret. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why uh, the Germans really didn't know what we were doing. They knew the invasion was coming, but probably the biggest element in confusing the, the Germans was this the deliberate deception campaign to make it appear that we were going to land at the Pas de Calais. So there was a fake army that was created Patton was put in command of it. There were, there was false radio traffic. There were blow-up tanks, blow-up trucks that from the air looked like the real vehicles. The role that the Army Air Forces played in that deception was that they actually bombed the Pas de Calais twice as much in the lead-up to D-Day as mm-hmm. they did Normandy. So naturally, if we're bombing yeah. Pas de Calais more than Normandy, that's certainly where we're landing. And it huh. did help to paralyze the German Army after we landed. That's we, stuff we, that that are, you know people don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I, I can tell already we need another three-hour show. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't give us that much, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, we're joined today by our guests Jeff DeFord and Michael Imhoff as we discuss the upcoming 75th anniversary of the Normandy invasion, Operation Overlord, D-Day. We've got much more ahead, including the date and connection to all of this. Why Eisenhower? How did he uh, take that role? And much more about that. Plus, a little later on, we'll learn about an amazing exhibit at your very own U.S. Air Force Museum. If you've got something to share about D-Day, well, we'd love to hear it. 457-1290 to join our conversation. 457-1290 when we continue. You're listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Dayton and Springfield Station for 24-hour news, weather, and traffic and our Ask the Expert weekends, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. There are few things more stressful than listing your home for sale and then waiting for a good offer to come in. Hi, it's Larry Hanskin with Richard Herbst from Keller Williams Hometown Realty. Richard, how can homeowners relieve that stress? Larry, it all boils down to having a proven and guaranteed marketing plan. So for anyone planning on selling later this year, now's the time to meet with you? That's right. I've been doing this for a long time, and I've got a huge network of buyers and sellers, so I know when people are going to be looking. And sometimes my best connections are long before the home even goes on the market. So what I'm hearing is that you are always looking for buyers even before a home goes on the market. Yes, we all go in prepared. We're selling homes in days, not months. So plan ahead. Contact Richard Herbst, Keller Williams Hometown Realty at 477-1411. That's 477-1411. Or visit teamherbst.com, T-E-A-M-H-E-R-B-S-T.com. I can spot a winner. Richard Herbst. 477-1411. I got my fiance's ring at James Free. Now, at first, I didn't know if I could even afford something that would look really stunning. But one day, I'm on jamesfree.com and I see this Layla engagement ring. It's got this GIA certified three-quarter carat diamond, but it's compellingly affordable, only $19.95. So look at the exclusive Layla engagement ring online at jamesfree.com. Then see it for yourself at James Free Jewelers, 3100 Far Hills Avenue in Kettering, where they've been doing the right 
thing for over 78 years. This summer, hit the road with great savings at Grismer. Now through July 8, buy four eligible Firestone tires and get $100 back by mail on a Firestone Visa prepaid gift card. Also take advantage of the Firestone Buy and Try 90-day guarantee. As always, get four free oil changes with the purchase of any four new tires, lifetime balancing and rotation included. So hit the road with savings on four new Firestone tires and get $100 back by mail on a Firestone Visa prepaid gift card. Visit GrismerTire.com. An additional bedroom in a two-car garage? And they didn't charge you an arm and a leg? Give me the number of these miracle workers. It's 1-800-1-800-G-O-T. G-O-T-J-U-N-K. J-U-N. 1-800-GOT-JUNK? We thought we needed a bigger house. We just needed to get rid of all the junk. All you have to do is point. We donate the donatables and recycle the recyclables. Call 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Or visit 1-800-GOT-JUNK.com. A few areas of fog developing towards the south of I-70 today. Temperatures near 60 degrees. Mostly sunny to start, partly cloudy by the time we get into the afternoon with a chance for showers and storms returning from north to south in the late afternoon and lasting into the evening hours. As we go into the overnight hours tonight, a few passing showers much cooler temperatures expected for Sunday, high of 70 degrees. I'm meteorologist Jesse Mag on Dayton Severe Weather Station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. It's an Ask the Experts weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news weather and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's news and talk. Good morning and welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. 457-1290 if you have a connection to D-Day or something that you would like to share or ask. Right. You may have somebody in your family who served in that. Uh, a lot of our veterans have obviously passed on at this point. We've learned through uh, Honor Flight uh, about a lot of their heroism and so forth. When we've had that fine group on on. But today we're joined by um, Jeff DeFord and Mike Imhoff, both related in different ways to our very own wonderful U.S. Air Force Museum. And we're going to talk with them about more things here. As we went to the break, we were starting to get into the numbers and, you know, how we had to kind of keep it secret and all of that. But you had a statistic here that we found startling as we were off uh, off the air regarding the comparison of the loss of life in the air versus what happened in the Pacific. And most people have no idea. This this helps to give you some sense of scale. And why don't you share that stat? Yeah, it's right. It's uh, it's the sacrifice made by the heavy bomber crews um, in defeating the German Air Force. There were more than 30,000 heavy bomber crewmen that were killed in the fight against Germany in World War II. And to put that into perspective, there were about 20,000 Marines killed in all of World War II. And the sacrifice of the Marines is is very well-deserved and very well-known. But the heavy bomber crewmen actually, we lost more than 10,000 more than the Marines in World War II. So they played a critical role in us winning World War II, but they, they paid a pretty heavy price for it. So when we talk about the Memphis Bell, you know, which has been an exhibit out there, uh, people, have, people have some sense of the bombers that have gone on, and they did an awful lot of damage in, in Europe and against the German forces. But there's a sense perhaps in the back of people's minds that a lot of these folks returned, and they did not. Yeah, that's right. When the Memphis Bell was flying, the odds of finishing a tour for a crewman were only one in four. The other three would have been killed, shot down and captured, or wounded so bad they couldn't continue. So that's why the Memphis Bell is, is one of our great national treasures, one of our great icons, because it represents this tremendous sacrifice. One thing I've always wondered here, and, and you get a bit when you watch a movie about this, is that you're talking about a lot of young people, very young people who were serving uh, on the front lines. What did they know about anything related to D-Day that when it was coming up? Uh, can you give us some sense of what they were going through at a personal level? Yeah, they actually knew very little. Uh, they knew their job. They were trained. But due to secrecy concerns, they really didn't know any of the details. And also, they they knew that invasion was coming, but they didn't know exactly where it was going to be. They didn't know when it was going to be. You know, They certainly had a sense that there was a buildup for it. But in some cases, they went in sort of blind, uh, not really knowing exactly what or where they were going to land. So the, d- the day the action un- unfolded, I'm sure people's hearts were, you know, beating a mile in a minute. But, but there's an enormous amount of courage when they were, you know, when the landing craft finally got to the beach and the, and the front door came down. That was the moment where people were killed instantly. People were killed when they jumped into the water and drowned. People landed on, you know, other kinds of things in the water. Uh, what a remarkable act of courage to just go at that moment. 
Yeah, I think what's even more amazing, too, is when you think that this was done by the hundreds of thousands. This wasn't 10, 20, 100 volunteers doing something brave and dangerous. These were hundreds of thousands of young people who could be just like us today, but because of a chance of history, they were put in this situation, and they laid their lives on the line again so that we can enjoy the life that we have today. We've talked a lot about that in recent weeks. We've talked about how sometimes we feel that the the culture has maybe lost a uniting purpose a lot of times that we've become very self-centered and uh, very confused, you know, confused about what was really important. Yeah. I mean, nobody's really um, in our homes. Even a lot of us aren't touched by any, uh, you know, military involvement or any personal sacrifice at that level these days. You know what we I mean? We have volunteer we all, force at this point, yeah. but, but a lot of these people at 18, 19, 20 years old were making the biggest decision mm. uh, at that time. Yeah. We have about a minute before we have to break again. Tell us a little bit about the Eisenhower uh, angle that you had shared off. So, off so there's a great story about Eisenhower and his son with air power. His uh, son had just graduated from West Point, deployed to Europe. He's the shiny second lieutenant, and they're in a column in Normandy after D-Day, as trucks lined up bumper to bumper, and you just don't do that because of potential enemy air attack. But of course, we had air superiority. And this this bright young second lieutenant says to his dad, General Eisenhower, "You know, Dad, you know, if if we didn't take out the German air force, then you know, your all your trucks would be destroyed." And he kind of chuckled and and knowingly looked at him and said, "Son, if it wasn't for the air force, we wouldn't even be here." <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, we've got much more ahead here uh, with Jeff DeFord of the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force as we discuss the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Then right around the corner, Michael Imhoff of the Air Force Museum Foundation is going to get all geeked out about augmented reality and a lot more. We've seen some of this on display. I wish we could show you more here on the radio. Uh, you'll have to take our, our best play-by-play uh, as, as a substitute. We've got a lot more in store for you. And uh, in this program, and also there's a lot more in store for you at the U.S. Air Force Museum. We do hope you get out there very soon. And we've got details on that coming up. It's incredible. So stay close. We'll be right back after the news. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290. News 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Experts weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. This is the station Dayton turns to first for live team coverage of breaking news. WHIO, Dayton Springfield. Your news starts now. Depend on it. It's 9.30. I'm Jonah Adi with a WHIO News Update. Our top story we're following this morning, following the relief efforts for the tornadoes that struck the Dayton area on Memorial Day, plus some incredible stories from those who survived. Another chance for showers and storms could affect your plans today. I'm meteorologist Jesse Mag. Your exclusive WHIO forecast is coming up. Well, WHIO Triple Team Traffic, we're checking things out on those major freeways. We're seeing an accident reported on northbound 75 in Moraine near mile marker 50. And it is our top story. The Dayton area has a long road ahead after confirmed 15 tornadoes decimated parts of the area on Memorial Day. This includes an EF4 tornado with winds up to 170 miles an hour. The National Weather Service uh, confirming that storm in particular traveled 19 miles and was over half a mile wide. Locations everywhere are offering support, including food, shelter, and for St. John's Lutheran Church in Salina, something else. Church members say the most important way to help may simply be to listen. I think it helps them. It's a way of their therapy and to get over it and just to tell their story. And we love listening to it. That's WHIO's James Ryder. For all those who want information on how they can help and donate to the cause of feeding those in need still, visit whio.com forward slash tornado relief. Well, Nata Harrison Township, where a man says he was able to survive an EF4 tornado that came through the area by taking shelter in a bathtub. I've never said a prayer in my life, and I said, God, I'd love to stay. And I finally made it out. I mean, everybody was screaming. I didn't know what to do. I mean, it was, I was freaking out. I mean, it was crazy. 
That's Lester Vaughn. He says he wants to stay in Northridge, but is unsure when his home will be able to be fixed. Well, DPNL crews working hard to continue restoring power to all of those impacted throughout the area. The company says it's proud to announce that the uh, out of the 70,000 customers who lost power, they're glad to say 60,000 have power back. Their goal is to get that uh, to just under 10% of that 75 number once the end of Saturday rolls around. Right now, we're seeing the current number of outages is just about 9,500 still without power throughout our area. We'll be keeping you posted as the crews continue to work to fix those outages. Well, let's get a look at the most accurate and dependable forecast from meteorologist Jesse Mag. Areas of fog have developed especially towards the south of I-70. Otherwise, most of us starting with mostly sunny skies and temperatures near 60 degrees. As we go throughout the day, a chance for storms late in the day. 81 degrees for the high temperature. I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Jesse Mag on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Well, the latest scan of the Doppler 7 radar shows that everything's looking clear at this time. Things certainly looking a lot brighter out there this morning from the foggy conditions we saw earlier. 66 degrees in Troy, got 65 in Springfield, 69 here in Dayton at 933. I'm Jonah Adi, WHIO Continuing News. Hi, Pete Kasuji here to tell you that if you're looking for the very best selection of your favorite garden plants, we grow over 125 varieties of tomatoes, peppers, cabbage, broccoli, cucumber, okra, cantaloupe, and eggplants. And if you haven't tried our famous neighbor beater tomato plants, come out and pick up a few and enjoy the best taste you ever had from your garden. They taste so good, you'll wish you planted more. And remember, neighbor beater garden plants are sold only at our garden center at 1309 Brand Pike. So get out that shovel and start digging. It's time for gardens, bedding plants, rose bushes, vines, and ground covers, shade trees and shrubs, bird baths and fountains, and so much more. So join the green revolution and come out and see us at 1309 Brand Pike. This is Clark Howard here on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO Dayton's News and Talk. Own a Google Nest device? When you get home, tell Google to play WHIO Radio. It's an Ask the Experts weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news weather and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There Is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Our number today is 457-1290 if you'd like to share your thoughts today. We're talking about the 75th anniversary of D-Day with our guests, Jeff Duford and Mike Imhoff. And more with them in just a moment. But we want to remind you that following this week's devastating tornadoes, that the number one need right now in our community is food. And if you would like to make a donation please visit whio.com slash tornado relief. Everybody can do a little something, and uh, obviously your donation uh, matters a lot. And uh, the people who are organizing a lot of this can make your dollar go very, very far. So please uh, do visit that site uh, today if you can. Again, we're having this conversation about uh, D-Day. There's so much we'd love to cover on, on this program. We've been talking with these uh, gentlemen, mostly with Jeff DeFore. We're going to get Michael Imhoff in here at, uh, in just a moment. As we've talked about some aspects of uh, of D-Day and its connection, particularly to Dayton history, uh, talk a little bit more about um, you know the bombers and the, the strategic connection here to uh, obviously you know Dayton's long history with aviation. That's great. So uh, the uh, heavy bombers also um, uh, dropped a, a pretty heavy uh, load on on D-Day itself on German positions and helped uh, with the breakout from Normandy as well about a month and a half after the D-Day invasion. But also another role of the Army Air Forces was to drop paratroopers and to tow gliders on D-Day. And it was a pretty dangerous job. They had to fly at low altitude. They were vulnerable to flak. And, um, but there were about 1,400 transport aircraft that dropped about 13,000 paratroopers on Normandy. And they played a critical role in the success of D-Day. And then uh, an even more difficult job were the pilots that were flying the gliders. So not, not only did they have to fly through the German flak, the German anti-aircraft, but then they were released at low altitude with these at, things. At, at night. That's right, at night. And these things that they call gliders, but they were really more like bricks with wings. They were heavily heavily loaded. 
Of course, they weren't And powered. they had to find a place to land. That's right. There's no go-around, and the Germans had put anti-landing stakes in some fields. And so the planners for the D-Day invasion just simply knew some of the glider crewmen and some of the glider troops would be killed in the very act of just trying to get to the ground. But their role was so important that that was considered to be uh, a wise thing to do, and that in the end it would save lives, which it did. Uh, they had to do all of these calculations, and it seems somewhat you know, cold and, and, uh, and mathematical to make these calculations, but this is why there was such overwhelming force involved. And it is amazing more people were not killed uh, on that day. So um, I've, I've seen some of, uh, pivoting a little bit here now to, to Michael Imhoff, um, I've seen some of what you sent me here in terms of the, uh, the videos and, and animation and so forth, which captures some of this sense. Um, you know, the, 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 not only the planning and the logistics that are unfolding, but some very visceral experiences of what people were going through jumping out of a plane. I don't think people have any idea. If you go to the air show, you see somebody come out of a plane at 10,000 feet, mm -hmm. and it's nice to watch the flag come down, and you know, everybody oohs and ahs. We're talking less than 500 feet and hoping you land on something that doesn't kill you or that you don't get shot at, right? So you've done a lot here now with, uh, in, in, explain first of all, the difference between your roles here and then what you've done particularly here with regard to the, the new exhibit. Sure, so good morning. Um, well, we work, I work for the Air Force Museum Foundation. We've been around since 1960. And since then, uh, we and our 12,000 plus family members around the world who are passionate uh, and supportive of the National Museum of the United States Air Force's mission to connect, educate, inspire. We've raised over 150 current year dollars. Wow. So that represents about 94% of the construction, the buildings you see. 150 million. Million, million. Right? square. Million yep. dollars, current year dollars. 94% um, uh, of the 1 million square foot under roof of the National Museum of the United States Air Force. And most people don't know that, that it's folks like you and I. So when you come to the museum and you shop in the uh, unbelievable museum store, you ride the rides, see the movies, um, you um, eat in our cafes, you are helping us help Jeff uh, and Mr. Dave Tillotson, who's the director of the National Museum of the United States Air Force, and that amazing team do their jobs to tell the story and uh, again, the unofficial motto to keep their stories alive. We are the keepers of their stories. So that's who we are and what we do. Uh, about five years ago, we sat down with the museum. We started looking at, at, at um, trends in the museum space. And one of the things we found was the emergence of virtual reality and augmented reality. So uh, we dipped our toe in the water with the uh, opening of the fourth building with the first virtual reality spacewalk in all of North America. Uh, it's it's an amazing experience if you've not been out there. Uh, but we also started to see the emergence of augmented reality, especially in the European market, where they would put a veneer skin to, in essence, make history and the exhibits come alive in an immersive and connective way. So we were looking for opportunities. And um, as happened since what happened, I was in France last year, I uh, came across uh, a product called the Histopad. I was in a, a castle and uh, brought it back. Uh, had no idea that they were connected with D-Day. Turns out that they had uh, put an exhibit in at the Airborne Museum in Saint Marie-Glise. Uh, we started talking, and uh, about 10 weeks later, uh, we opened up on May 13th with this incredible exhibit uh, at the National Museum of the United States Air Force. So just to put this and uh, offer a little additional explanation, if, if anybody's been to the museum, you know that there's, as you say, this million square feet, and there's just tons to look at. I, every time I go in there, I'm thinking you need a week to really do it justice. My feet get sore and I'm in one section. Wait, wait, I want to look at this. I want to look at this. There's something else to look at. Um, you're talking now about a bridge technology now that, that a lot of younger people certainly have been exposed to. Some of our older listeners mm -hmm. would know what that is, uh, where you can use other pieces of technology while you're there mm -hmm. looking at displays, looking at exhibits. So describe a little bit more about what happens with this uh, device, with augmented reality, what's going on when people are there? Great, so uh, just a, a quick sec, let me paint the picture for you. So um, as Jeff said, this, is, uh, this exhibit really focuses in on the application of air power and it complements the incredible exhibit tree that the museum already has in the World War II gallery and Jeff perhaps can speak a little bit more to that. So we start you off, Jeff talked about the airmen, uh, the airborne troops didn't know what they were about to get into. We start you off with the mission brief. So you have an, an awareness of, of what was really going on uh, during D-Day uh, in the airborne invasion. 
we actually allow you to get to feel what it was like to be in France on June 5th. So under German occupation, uh, you walk through, Jeff gave you a little bit of a peek of what the troops went through. So you're a paratrooper. We have you put on the gear. So you go from 150 pounds to 300 pounds. Really? So you have an awareness. Yeah, you're sitting there saying, okay, if I put on this helmet, how much does that weigh? When I put on my reserve chute, how much does that weigh? You're a pathfinder. So these pathfinders were critically important to allow the C-47s and the gliders to know where to land. Um, you are amongst 821 C-47s, 821 C-47s crossing the channel. We bombard you with not only video but audio. You then are a 19-year-old young man getting ready to jump into Summer Glees at 1.51 in the morning on June 6th. Um, you see the tracers, you hear the bullets, you hear your parachute deploy, and then historically accurate, verified by not only Jeff and his amazing team, but the curators at the Airborne Museum of Summer Glees, six of those jumps. And you get, to, you get to feel what it was like, you get to read what happened to these men, um, as they jumped into Saint Mary Glees, you then have to keep the town. You have to take a bridge at Lafayette, and it was critically important because the Germans are trying to get to the beachhead. So you've not only jumped, which is inherently dangerous, you fought your way to the ground, held the ground, and now you have to go protect a bridgehead because if you don't, then the Germans are going to come up the backside of Utah Beach. We then walk you through the realities, and we show you a temporary hospital uh, and what it was like after the fact. So. It is an immersive journey uh, through the airborne uh, invasion of one little town, San Marigles, which was the first town liberated by U.S. forces uh, uh, on D-Day. So if, if, um, if, if anybody's played the games of you know, Call of Duty or yeah. they've played uh, even Fortnite, uh, a lot of people recognize, uh, and they've gotten very, very good at those games, uh, all the different things that people have to do. But there is still some significant amount of make-believe in all of that, right? Uh, the fact you get another life, you know, in, in all those things. Uh, and you're, you're always bounding through things with some somewhat supernatural powers. These stories that, at least in what you've sent me, mm -hmm. are real people who went through this stuff. Uh, and we're seeing, of course, uh, you know, people who survived those jumps in this case. Uh, but a lot of people did not. Uh, a lot of people, you know, perished in these situations. What I found kind of interesting was the way that it integrated footage you know, actual footage of these scenes with some animation and the ability to change in and out of that as you're using these uh, devices. Absolutely right. So it, it's the uh, interwoven experience. It's actual photos. It's narrative. It's video. Um, one of the things we've learned is that um, it, virtual reality, augmented reality, right? People gloss over the word reality. And so you're right, uh, young kids are used to playing these role-playing role games, Call of Duty, things like that. But so, for example, in the vignette where you're jumping into D-Day, one of the young men that you follow his journey down, regrettably, because these were not directional parachutes, jumps into a burning building and sacrifices his life. It becomes real at that point to these young men and women who are in the exhibit and get to experience it. So it, they can connect with it. They feel comfortable with it because it's digital animation, right? However, there's that interactive historical perspective. They just don't know what's happening to them. But when they leave the exhibit is when they start to realize how much they have learned, how much they have connected, and how much they have assumed the responsibility of telling the story and keeping the story alive of these young men who did so much for us so that we can have so much. It's so think of it this way. It's the fading voices of the greatest generation. Well, when those voices fade out, who's going to tell their story? The French have a, a phrase, our duty of memory, right? Our duty to remember. The museum's uh, phrase is, we are the keepers of their stories. So the, when you add those together, the French phrases, and I, I'm not a French speaker, but it's notre devoir du mémoire, our duty to remember, our duty of memory. And it really is palpable because that's one of the things the museum does, I think, better than anybody else on this planet. And that is when you come to the museum and you see the exhibits and you read the stories, you are, we are conveying to you, they are conveying to you um, the responsibility 
to keep the stories alive, to tell the stories. It's not about the aircraft. It's about the stories. And this augmented reality allows children and actually allows those much older. I've seen 90-year-olds and 9-year-olds having a conversation about what happened on D-Day. So think of it, this technology also is an enabler. It enables the conversation in ways that it didn't before. Uh, you know, uh, an older and a younger person having a conversation over a textbook probably wouldn't happen. But hey, that nine-year-old connects with this toy in their world. But then the 90-year-old is able to say, hey, let me tell you a little bit more about it. And, and I think you see this a lot, uh, Jeff, in groups that come through there and so forth. There is... Uh, in a lot of schooling situations, there's kind of the glossing over of a whole bunch of stuff because there's so much stuff you want to get done. You take any Western Civ course, right? A lot of times they'll take it up through, you know, 1500 or from 1500 on, you know, as a pivotal point in history, right? Uh, but they're going by with so much data, and so you're hitting the hot points. What is so different, obviously, than video, and, and I think the certain jadedness that sets in with playing a lot of video, is that it is real. It's not just a, you know, it's not just a stage setting here for people to come and look at old artifacts. It is real. And people struggle, I think, with understanding that. As Gloria pointed out in the first part of the program, most people are not connected to military uh, activity of any kind right now. Do you see that transformation happen within the, the environment of the museum? Absolutely. And, in, in, and specifically with this, with this exhibit, Freedom from Above, this, this immersive exhibit, one of the amazing things that this does, this technology does, is it ties people to the real thing. And it also provides a unique experience that can't be had anywhere else. And by that I mean you go through this immersive experience and you feel like you're there. You understand that they these were real people that went through these things. And then the visitor goes from that exhibit to a World War II gallery and they see the real thing, a C-47, the type of transport they use. They, the guns that they were hearing in the background, the anti-aircraft guns, well, those are on display. 88-millimeter cannon and a 20-millimeter German anti-aircraft cannon. The fighters that were used. There are uniforms that were worn by paratroopers on D-Day. These uniforms were there. In fact, one of the uniforms is a chaplain who stands in front of the aid station, and there's a picture of him in front of the aid mm -hmm. station, which is in the virtual reality exhibit. Truly amazing. So the visitor connects to real things that were there. That's, I think that's profound. I mean, if you're going to go, it, uh, certainly there's, everyone's been through the experience of a kid who's been out a little too long in a museum. Hi, Mom, Dad, I want to go home. Uh, and maybe when they're first going there in the class, mm. uh, class trip, there is just too It's overwhelming. But if you can get that emotional uh, connection, yeah. I think it matters. So we had a, um, we had a, a, a school group out uh, late last week, and they had about 40 kids. And after the fact, they went through the exhibit. After the fact, one of the teachers pulled us aside and said, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. And usually what happens is the kids at some point go find a bench, they go find now their phones, and they disconnect. So for the first time in 40 years, these kids did not disconnect. They stay glued, they stay connective, and they were immersively engaged. And afterwards, even more important, they were inquisitive. They learned a little bit about D-Day in their schools. They wanted to know more from their teacher. And the teacher almost was misty-eyed and said, I've never seen this before, and thank you so much to your foundation and to the museum for doing this because it enables us to immersively connect with our students when we go back to the classrooms in ways we've never been able to do so before. I think it, up, I think it ups the ante for the teachers too, don't you think? Oh, I mean, absolutely. You've got to really be on your game now if you're going to take that on as a subject. Absolutely. And it's not just one more thing. You know, when you think about it, and, and you can you can emphasize anything in a class in a period of 16 weeks or whatever it is. So this is one opportunity to, especially in this area, maybe, you know, build that part. Yeah, out. I think this histopad thing is really neat, this interactive experience, because kids so often I'm hearing from teacher friends, you know, they really are zoning out, tuning out if they don't have this technology for their 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 supply of learning. They really are. That's where they're they're getting the attention is through technology. So we have to go there. We have to rise to that and. And I feel we're going to have to bring it to yeah. If the people designing a lot learn. of video games and so forth, I mean, if it's just about stimulation and you know living within that environment, they're forgetting all of this. Mm -hmm. In another yeah. 10, 20, 30 years, what happens? You know, and it's unfortunate, but like you said, we got to keep the memories alive. So we got to find ways to do that with our younger generation in ways that will engage them. Yeah, for as sure. much as we resist as older people, right? Yes, <laughs> we've still got more ahead here with Jeff and with Michael, and we'll come back to you right after this short break. You're listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.
the Miami Valley's only radio station for 24-hour breaking news, weather and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. If you're a State Farm policyholder and have been affected by the recent storm, please contact your State Farm agent. You can also call 1-800-SF-CLAIM or 800-732-5246 to get started. We're taking calls around the clock and responding as quickly as possible because at State Farm, our goal is to help our customers get their lives back to normal. Contact your local agent, call 1-800-SF-CLAIM or visit statefarm.com. If you served in the military, you may be eligible for health care benefits at the Dayton VA Medical Center. These are benefits you've already earned through your military service. Regardless of when or where you served, you may be eligible. To apply, just call us at 937-956-0770. Visit our website at dayton.va.gov or just walk into the Dayton VA Medical Center and ask for assistance at the front desk. The Dayton VA Medical Center. You served us, now let us serve you. This summer hit the road with great savings at Grismer. Now through July 8th, buy four eligible Firestone tires and get $100 back by mail on a Firestone Visa prepaid gift card. Also take advantage of the Firestone Buy and Try 90-day guarantee. As always, get four free oil changes with the purchase of any four new tires, lifetime balancing and rotation included. So hit the road with savings on four new Firestone tires and get $100 back by mail on a Firestone Visa prepaid gift card. Visit GrismerTire.com. Dean's EcoGreen is your trusted local source for yard waste recycling, mulch, topsoil, gravels, and compost. We offer a wide variety of mulches, boulders, river rock, and landscape materials for all your outdoor projects. Call us today at 937-608-8010 or stop in to see us at 1256 Dayton Yellow Springs Road, Fairborn, Ohio. Check out our website at DeansEcoGreen.net to see a full list of our available products. Dean's Eco Green Recycling, the best quality and prices in town. Hot, hot deals this week at Mark's, like Tyson Fresh Chicken Tenderloins, just $2.29 a pound, and Hillendale Extra Large Eggs, just two for a buck. Yup, 50 cents a dozen. And all no-nonsense hosiery is priced at 40% off. Can't beat these deals. Get to Mark's today. The Ford Oval of Honor salutes military defenders of freedom. U.S. Navy Radio Man First Class Marion Adams will be honored in a 75th anniversary D-Day ceremony at the Air Force Museum Theater June 20th. Thank you from your Dayton area Ford dealers and Radiance Technologies. A few areas of fog developing towards the south of I-70 today. Temperatures near 60 degrees. Mostly sunny to start, partly cloudy by the time we get into the afternoon with a chance for showers and storms returning from north to south in the late afternoon and lasting into the evening hours. As we go into the overnight hours tonight, a few passing showers, much cooler temperatures expected for Sunday, high 70 degrees. I'm meteorologist Jesse Mag on Dayton Severe Weather Station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. When the Miami Valley gets hit with breaking news, severe weather or traffic tie-ups, depend on us for up-to-the-minute information, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There's a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. And over there is Jeff, and over there is Michael. So uh, we have little time here, unfortunately. We always run out of time on these programs. But what would you like people to take away? We mentioned a couple of things off the air. We were talking here about uh, the French, and that was beautiful French there before. I mentioned we haven't had so much French language on our show ever. Uh, And also we were talking about education. So uh, why why don't you share those remarks with uh, our listeners? Well, I think one of the wonderful things about this project was the foundation uh, approached this French group, and to the uh, French, we uh, um, they have the same shared history that we do. So here we are 75 years later, and this French group has the same passion to commemorate what these young men did 75 years ago. So uh, once again, French and Americans are working together, and they're extremely grateful for what Americans did leaving their homes and giving their lives in some cases to liberate their nation and to liberate Europe. So it's still very strong, that sentiment, especially in Normandy. But I think another uh, important element is uh, what what a person will take away from coming to the museum on June 6th, coming and see this exhibit. And I think it's two things. It's gratitude and it's perspective. You know, we have difficult days, but our difficult days don't compare in any way to the di- difficult days of those young men 75 years ago. So coming to the museum, seeing these exhibits, seeing this wonderful immersive exhibit means that the person will come away with perspective and certainly with gratitude. I think that's, uh, that's profound. Yeah. yeah. So how can our um, listeners today learn more? 
So a number of ways. One, uh, go to the National Museum of the United States Air Force's website and our Air Force Museum Foundation website for the activities on June 6th. And one in particular is Sunken Roads, and that's really a a granddaughter's uh, trail. She walks her grandfather's, great-grandfather's, uh, uh, steps along D-Day, uh, and it truly is uh, a, an incredible, palpable, uh, and emotional uh, journey that we're going to have a living history series uh, that night on D-Day at uh, 6.30 p.m. in our museum theater. You have quite a few other activities also uh, mm-hmm. coming up here. Just because now, now that we've told people about this whole sure. new exhibit, people are going to wonder, well, when can I go? So uh, the museum is open 360 days a year, 9 to 5. Uh, so this is up and running and ready oh, to be Oh, absolutely. It opened yeah. up May 13th. So okay. if you're in our listening audience and you want to come see us, we'd love to have you join us. And, and it's going to run all the way through the end of the year, correct? Great point. It'll run all yep. the way through December 31st. Right. And what was the point you were making, too, here about uh, the transition or the, the long-term uh, uh, strategy for bringing more of this augmented reality into the environment of the museum and how that connects to young people? Right. So we did it for the right reason to commemorate the 75th anniversary D-Day, but we also wanted to learn. And we believe, based on what we've seen in just a short period of time, this has a broader application and we're in conversations with uh, with folks to bring this type of technology so that it's pervasive throughout the entire museum in the and, years to come. And this provides some, we had talked about, you know, does does an exhibit like this up the ante for teachers? In other words, pulling more forth from them. And you made the point, you kind of pivoted and said it, it really ups the ante for kids. Yeah, it's a great point. We're blessed in this country to have some amazing teaching professionals. And at times there's frustrations. Hey, I can't connect to my kids. Well, you know what? It doesn't up the ante for the teachers. It ups the ante for the kids. Because the kids can come out of this and go, well, you know what? How did that glider work? You mean if I learn more about math or physics? We know this because um, people come back and say, hey, I enlisted because I came here, or I'm an officer, or I'm a NASA program administrator, or I'm a, I build aircraft engines. So they connect in ways they don't even know, and they go back to their schools inspired to maybe put a little bit more effort into mathematics or science or engineering. Fascinating. It really is. Uh, well, thank you both. Uh, Jeff DeFord, from the, he's the curator of the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force, and Michael Imhoff, the executive director at the Air Force Museum Foundation. It has been uh, eye-opening and wish we had another hour we could spend with you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us here. Uh, Remember, the area's number one need right now is food. Following this week's uh, terrible weather and events, please consider a donation at whio.com slash tornado relief. Did I get that right, Gloria? whio.com slash tornado relief. And that will do it for us today. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step. And never regret growing older. It is a privilege denied to many. For my dear friend and co-host, Gloria Shanahan, our wonderful guests, our producers, and everyone else who makes the show possible, I want to thank you for being here. You've been listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. From our downtown Dayton McAfee Heating and Air Studios, WHIO AM Dayton, WHIO FM Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station.